I think there's so many entrepreneurs that the reason they're able to get started is there's a little bit of naivety there. If you did know everything, you'd probably talk yourself out of it. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. This is the show where I interview business owners, entrepreneurs, and influencers in East Idaho and learn the stories of their challenges and successes with their business dreams. Today, we have the privilege of hearing how this local businessman took his own experience and improved it for those to follow. Welcome, Stuart Draper of Stukent. Yes, Renee, good to be with you. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. Um, Stu, you are the CEO and founder of Stukent. Is that correct? Yep. All right. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about what Stukent is and what services you provide? So Stukent is a courseware provider. We do e-textbooks simulations and other um, educational courseware that educators use to teach their students. Now we started with a digital marketing simulation, the world's first, and... And is that the Mimic? Mimic. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, we also have launched uh, e-textbooks that pair with those simulations. So what does that mean? If I'm a student, and, and this is mainly for marketing? Yeah, right now, like our, our initial business has been targeted at marketing subjects. Mm -hmm. Okay, because your experience, correct me if I'm wrong, you um, went to school, studied marketing, and there really wasn't anything out there related to online marketing. That's right. And so then here you go. Yeah, there was very little uh, digital marketing education provided in higher education. So I had the chance to teach at BYU-Idaho as an adjunct faculty member Basically, I'd been out of school three years. I'd been running my own agency called GetFoundFirst.com. It's still alive and kicking and doing well. I shouldn't say alive and kicking like it's barely alive because it's <laughs> doing really well. Uh, they're a Google premier partner now. and uh, You no longer have that business. I sold, sold that it. business mm -hmm. in 2015 okay. uh, to someone out of Blackfoot, Idaho. Okay. Michael Johnson owns it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so... I went back to teach at BYU-Idaho, and when I was teaching, I just realized, oh man, this curriculum really needs a re an overhaul, and I have some ideas of how I could overhaul it, and I started looking at what else was out there, and, you know, every entrepreneur kind of has that moment where it's like, there's got to be a better way, yeah. or I can do this better than whoever else is doing it. Did you, know, you realize that moments. when you were a student, or when you came back? Like, did you when know? When I came back to okay. teach, yeah. You're like, hey, there's so much out there that's not being taught, and yeah, exactly. these guys need this stuff. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and I just, my professor Kent, I went to him and I was like, hey, Kent, do you want to partner with me and do something here? He didn't have the opportunity with his family life to do that, but he he was cool with me still using his name, and so Stu Kent plays on the on the name. On the word student, student, right? Yeah, got it. And Stu Kent also is a concatenation of my name and his name. Very Stu clever. Kent. Very nice. And uh, it's a g it's good to always like, tell people the story of yeah. how we started. Stories sell. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it's an interesting name. People maybe wouldn't really understand, like, why did you change student to Stu Kent? But that's an awesome story. I love yeah, that. Yeah, and, and it's memorable, right? So yeah. once you have a chance to tell that story, people don't forget you anymore. Yeah, right. Whereas if you... If you have a name that's uh, maybe does a good job of saying exactly what you do, but it's really vague and broad, then it 
doesn't resonate and it's not as memorable. People don't remember it. Mm -hmm. right. So true. So true. Like, All right, when you so think about it, by the way, along the lines of that names, I think for entrepreneurs, they're interested in that because they have to come up with a name for their business. When I know, and we waste like hours and hours <laughs> trying to figure out the best name, right? Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like, um, with if you think about Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola has a nice ring to it, and it's a nice name, and, and it's now a billion-dollar brand. But if someone just out of nowhere tomorrow said, hey, I'm going to start a pop company and I'm going to name it Coca-Cola, people would question you. Yeah, yeah. Just like, because why? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Coca-Cola, you know? <laughs> Makes it, no sense. Or Facebook yeah. or Google, <laughs> Yahoo, yay, right. Yahoo. How do you even say that? Like, Well, they were nothing, right? But they've branded themselves and they've become something. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like Melissa and Doug. Like, they're just two people, but yet they have this huge brand. And For so. children's stuff, yes. I'm guessing. Yes, you got yeah, it. See, yep. smarty pants. Okay, so um, so where is Kent? Is Kent still a partner in the business? Kent never was. Oh, no, okay. Kent, Kent wasn't able to get involved, but while I, after I talked to him and he wasn't able to get involved, while I was doing market research to just do it on my own, I found uh, Jeff Larson, and he was willing to co-author the textbook with me. Okay, and, and Jeff Larson was an instructor at BYU? Yeah, so uh -huh. the first book that we launched was called Digital Marketing, well actually back then it was called Internet Marketing Essentials, and Jeff is a professor at BYU, a PhD from Wharton, and um, while I was talking to him about my idea for writing the book, he turned me down, but he said, but if you had a simulation, I would totally use that. Uh -huh. And that's when we, so I went and found the right people to help me get a, s a simulation out the door, and I went to Jeff and I said, hey, I have a simulation, do you want to use it? He's like, yeah. So while you're in the market research phase, you can come up with new ideas that you didn't originally come up with for your business. Yeah, isn't that so true? And it's funny how doors open like that. You wouldn't have normally even been searching for. So why is that important, this simulation? So Because I student really need to be able to practice it. Exactly, yeah. With, any th with anything you're learning, you always learn more when you get to put into practice what you've been reading about. Yeah. So uh, it's one thing to, like, write down how to throw a baseball and another thing to put that baseball in the it. kid's hand and mm -hmm. say throw this mm -hmm. right and and then show them and do it again and again and with the simulation you get that opportunity so we give students 50 grand in simulated ad dollars so they can practice writing and running their own online ad campaign yeah and great. so it's called mimic the simulation and we're mimicking the google ad platform and the facebook ad platform uh, the Hootsuite social yeah, media marketing right. management platform. And uh, it basically just gives students that chance to practice. Without knowing, like putting it out there in the without world. Without the boss's money being on the <laughs> line, right? That's nice, because yeah. ha having a business and sometimes having that be my money, I would prefer to have them know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. for, for a, a business student to graduate and be able to say, yeah, I've managed a $50,000 ad budget, it's a lot more powerful than just, yeah, I read about online advertising <laughs> while I was in school, right? Yeah. Or I took a test and I, I passed. Yeah, that's great. It's not the same. So this textbook that you co-authored with Jeff, was it intended to be digital at the time you guys co-authored it? Yeah, that was my, I, my the original idea for Stu Kent was an always up-to-date textbook. Yeah. That basically students would pay once, get lifetime access, and then as the book evolved, they would be able to keep getting the updated version of the text. Yeah, that's great. And do they own it forever? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they get lifetime access. So, Especially in digital marketing world where things are changing all of the time, that's got to be a really good resource for them. Yep. My brother is an orthodontist, and he goes, you know what's so frustrating is I paid thousands for my textbooks to become an orthodontist, and I don't have access to any of that anymore. And most of it w was like brand new digital stuff they were just coming out with, but no one got to that access Wow, after. Yeah. yeah, because I can tell you way back in the 90s when I graduated from nursing school, I still have my textbooks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, there's just some things that don't change about the human body, but That's right. I think things change a little faster with your market than mine. Um, so are there other digital courseware providers out there? What sets you apart? What makes you different? So there totally are other e-textbook platforms. There are other simulation companies but there's no one that's married those two things of e-textbook and simulation. And there's no one that's done it in that constantly up-to-date format. So when we sign up a new author, they agree that they will update the text twice a year to keep it current. And if they don't, they can f begin to forfeit royalties by not continuing to keep it up-to-date. Mm -hmm. So we're only interested in working with authors that are on board with the idea that Markets evolve, industries evolve, subjects change. Even if the subject doesn't change, there's, in it, very quickly, there's always different things happening in the world that change, that change our perspectives on the same subject. Right. So right. even the medical industry does evolve, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, the parts that stay the same are probably what's in print, but the stuff that changed never got added to that print. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking to expand beyond just marketing now into other business subjects. And as we expand, um, we'll consider what subjects are fast paced and evolving quickly. And those are the other ones we want to go to because yeah. we can add the most value there. Well, it sounds like you've got a great platform to build off. You, you know what you're doing with your subject and now you can take mm -hmm. it from there. That's great. So talk to me a little bit about the authors of your content. What kind of credentials do you require? Are you using, and I, and I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, but is it like bloggers of the industry out there? Are we talking practicing professors? Who are you looking yeah. for? So I feel like the best mix is two co-authors, one that comes from industry and one that comes from academia, uh -huh. because that mixture of those two perspectives gives students exactly what they need. Because they need the theory and the academic perspective, but they also need the industry perspective. Yeah, hands-on, I've done this. Yeah, exactly. And the, so that's the ideal combo. We've teamed up with authors from universities that range from like Oxford and Northeastern, top tier, right? Uh, to Bryant University, which you may have never heard of. It's in New England and it's, an excellent school and the author is incredible doesn't have the same resume she's an adjunct instructor uh, instructor so she's not a full-time faculty member uh, and she also works in industry so she yeah. works for a fortune 100 brand doing their social media marketing and she wrote a textbook on social media marketing and because she also teaches she understands what an instructor needs what the students need and it's that whole mix right it's yeah, great so so have you had, how have you found your instructors? Like once they, or even gotten your product out there, um, if I was in education, how would I have known about this? Great question. So we spent a lot of money up front in marketing. Yeah. Most of the money that we raised in funding, and we raised 
just shy of a million dollars total in funding, uh, was for marketing and sales. Uh, we did spend uh, quite a bit on innovating and improving our software and our simulation, but yeah. a lot of it went to marketing and sales. Yeah, didn't you have to hire engineers to do your platform? Are you an engineer? Did you build this yourself? Not an or? engineer, no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a tech founder, but I'm, I wouldn't call myself like a, an engineering founder that's like in the details of the sim or built the first version or anything like that. Yeah. So There had to be some money in behind had to, building had that. Had to hire uh, for that, yeah. yeah right. And the other reason for funding was there's a long sales cycle in the education industry. It, it's, it creates a big barrier to entry and that's why it's, it's hard to find businesses that are in the education space mm -hmm. because um, they just simply no one want, No one's very interested in, if I talk to you today, you might pay me in 18 months. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not very exciting. I need, I need my money now. <laughs> yeah. So we had to be willing to and able to hire a sales team that we could pay a base salary to and a commission to all before, like maybe even a year before we would see a payment. Yeah, right. So, so is that where some of that seed money went? Like you had to pay these guys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yep. So talk to me a little bit about that. How did you figure out that business plan? How did you know what that was going to look like? You you really hadn't, you taught and you had been in the industry, but did you have any idea about this lead to getting into any kind of payment? I'm glad I didn't have an idea because if I <laughs> did, I probably have wouldn't it. have done it, right? <laughs> I think there's so many uh, entrepreneurs that the reason they're able to get started is there's a little bit of naivety there. Yeah. You don't know everything. It's so true. And that... Uh, if you did know everything, you'd probably talk yourself out of it. But for me, um, I knew, I did know that I would need a good sales team. And I did know that it was going to take funding because of the long sales cycle. I just had no idea how much of a challenge it would continue to be. So um, not only is the sales cycle long, but you make your revenue twice a year in the higher edu education space. Because that's how they make their purchases, huh? Well, yeah, you sign up a professor in January and he says, sure, I'll send my students to you. And he sends his 40 students to you in August or September. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's when they pay. Yeah. Because we make the, the transaction between the student and our website directly. I see, so that doesn't go through the college. No, sometimes bookstores are buying licenses for students that have scholarships or Pell Grants or some sort of Stafford loan that yeah. need to pay through the bookstore. But other than that, most everyone just pays us directly. The vast majority of our revenues is direct student to our website. Got it. That's interesting. So, but I, as a, as a student, am choosing what my professor's telling me to do. So, like, they're di directing their students to what yep. content they ha are teaching off of. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Right. Got it. So, tell me about what is your reach? Is this being used on campuses across the nation? What does it look like? Yeah, so StuKent is now used in over 50 countries around the world, all in English. Um, basically, the Harvard of every country uses it. Um, we have over 2,000 higher ed institutions that have now used our platform, and we have uh, over uh, 500 that high schools that used our platform in in our first year, just last year. Really? And we're tracking to have about 2,000 that use it in our yeah, second school great. year. Well, it makes a lot of sense that this is being taught at the high school level because there's so much, you can learn so much outside of academia around this particular topic. 
why not have it in the high schools? Yeah, and the high school market's an interesting one. I wish so badly when I was in school, I would have been able to take business classes, yeah. but they didn't offer a single one at my school. And now they offer multiple. And yeah. so we didn't realize that, but a professor came to me and said, hey, have you considered the high school market? I was like, no. She's like, well, why don't you sign up for this conference that I'm a part of and see what happens? We went to one conference, came home with dozens of leads and You're like, said, oh, wow, there's here. an opportunity <laughs> here. And now it, it's multi-million in, year, in its second year, that part of our, it's pretty cool. Well, that was a little gift. Yeah, yeah. pretty awesome. How nice is that? Um, how young do you see that going to? Um, well, our courseware is built in such a way that we could create content. Our platform is built to create courseware for any age level. So someday, uh -huh. what I tell people when I hire them is that what Under Armour was to Nike and Adidas, Stukent is to Pearson and McGraw-Hill. And that we really have an opportunity that's that big yeah, to help yeah. any student of any age in any school anywhere on the planet. And um, so, yeah, someday we could be in all of K-12. Right now we're just high school and higher ed and it's just for business and marketing subjects. Mm -hmm. Well, it does seem like the uh, sky is the limit on what you could do with that. Sure. So do you, in, do you employ all your engineers and everybody here in Idaho Falls or do you have other satellite offices? So we have a cool mix. We've had to get creative on that side of our business, the engineering side. Um, sales is 100% in-house mm -hmm. they travel to conferences about over 100 this year um, it's convenient to be parked right next to the airport for it that is, yes right uh, and you have your engineers off-site then or are th they those engineers are everywhere like um, what i think will happen is we'll let engineering be a remote part of our business yeah could be where mm -hmm. they can choose to come and be in-house if they'd like or be remote we have about two-thirds here and then and there's about 15 of them now uh, and the rest are remote. Uh, we've had one guy that, that's going to be moving up here from ca California. He starts in July. Uh, we have... Um, How many employees do you have? Just over 60 now okay. in total. So of, the, of that engineering team, you mentioned what locations. We have three in the Philippines. We have one in Jerusalem. Wow. She's super cool. She's a mom of six, works full-time. Oh, my goodness. Remote developer for us. She's awesome. Her name is Malky. She moved there from New York. We have another engineer in Georgia, and we have another engineer in Sturgis. Sweet. South Dakota, of all places. <laughs> so that, and then everyone else is here. Yeah. And that, but that mix is just fine. Yeah. Uh, especially because we use a, a platform called Slack for all yeah. of our communication, mm -hmm. and it's worked really well for helping the whole team feel united, even though they're not all in-house in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so talk to me a little bit about what would you say is the single greatest struggle you had when getting your business off the ground? Like, what were you faced with? Was it that lag or what, what was the biggest struggle you had? Partnering with the wrong engineers initially was you a didn't really know, maybe. big challenge. Yeah. Uh, so I would say partnerships were a big obstacle up front and then the other was just simply um, that that mis that difficulty of raising funding like yeah so tell me challenge. about that you spend you, so much time on it you could be growing your business and you're and out there selling, trying to raise instead money instead you're working with people that aren't going to be your customers and asking them to just give you some money to so get So do you through. have investors in your business right now mm -hmm. or have you yeah 
Yeah, they're there's, still, mm -hmm. I haven't been able to buy them out. Mm -hmm. So they're still in business. Yeah. And were those primarily, like how did you find them in the beginning? You just went out networking, saying, hey, do you know anybody who has money and <laughs> are they interested in investing? So I have a cool story for how I got my first investment. Let's hear it. I have a mentor. He sold a couple of uh, Walgreens, of, of uh, pharmacies to Walgreens and did really well with that. Has a couple other businesses he started as well. And I was going to breakfast with, with him once a month at Perkins. And I would just tell him, hey, I'm, I'm working on this idea. And he's like, cool. And he'd ask me the right questions and be like, hey, uh, you should do this for your business plan. And it went really well just having that mentorship. He helped me do a little bit of market research. And one day he asked me pretty point blank, like, hey, if you had the funding and you like, would you go for it? Would you quit? And I was like, yeah, I, I think I would. It, I think that I would, but I really would have to have the funding. And then like three days later, he texts me. And he said, hey, what's your address? Text me my, I texted him my address and I got a check in the mail for 25 grand. And he said, From him. this is your first funding. Yeah. He said, this is your first funding. Uh, it's an angel investment from me. We'll figure out the valuation later, like that good and that honest of a, of a guy. Wow. And he trusted me that much Well, he'd too, been right? listening to you. He knew what your business plan he'd was. He'd seen yeah, the story. He he'd heard that, oh, Oregon, Texas, Marquette, Tennessee, Indiana, all these schools that you would expect to be teaching digital marketing. It's 2013. They still don't. You've got something that they're saying they will use. Yeah. I had pre-sales, right, yeah. from that market research. People were telling me, oh, yeah, if you build that, if you build what you just described, yeah, I'll buy it, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, so that was where I got my first funding. And if you need or are planning on raising funding, I'm happy to make introductions if you have a good idea uh, to other investors because you have to network like crazy. And what I found is that investors are like sheep. They will follow. They're like, so, oh, you did it, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I texted him and I thanked him. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, thank you for this check. I will quit. I'm going to go for this. And he, he said, well, I... I've raised that money for you and I'll help you, I'll help you make introductions to get the rest of that money. So yeah. they want, they, once an investor comes in, he wants to help you uh -huh. or she wants Sees to help you because once they do that, they, they know that that money could die yeah. unless it gets more money with it mm -hmm. to help it survive. That's true. There's some self-interest there, right? <laughs> for sure. A uh -huh. ton of self-interest uh -huh. for the investor. Well, that's great. Is that individual still your mentor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name's Corey great. Smith. Yeah. Great man. Great. That's so good. Oftentimes, I think we as business people believe we have to do this by ourselves. Like we have this crazy thing about, oh, I just got to do it. And so many of us, like that's that makes the difference in our business to have a nice mentor or a coach or somebody that can help take us to that next level. And you have to be grateful and show gratitude to those people that really, and remember those people that make that difference for you in your career. Like, I think it's really easy to forget them and think, oh, I did this all on my own, but you have to remember them and give them credit where yeah, it's that due. They were there. So was that, did that come natural to you to go and ask for money? Um, was that hard? <laughs> yes, it's hard. It still is hard. I don't have to ask for money anymore, but it still is hard to uh, deal with investors, not because my investors are hard to deal with, yeah. but because there's this constant there's feeling risk of too. Like, like I could let them down. Yeah, you could let them down. And then there's also now that feeling of like, holy cow, you guys got a really good deal. I gave you my business for so cheap. It's worth so much more now. Yeah, right. right? It's like, right. I mentioned well, I couldn't buy now. them out yet, and I would love to buy some of them out because... 
the percentage of ownership that they got yeah. when but they haven't been point, around the last six years, you know? <laughs> they were there six years ago when they wrote that check, and now they're not around. They're just waiting for the day when I write them a big check right. now. And that's a little bit more than what they gave you, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Good for you and good for your business. Yeah. All right, so I imagine, and I'm so happy to hear that, you know, it, that you were successful and that this business has been successful, but I imagine there have been times where you had doubts and wondered when you took that check and you're like, I'm quitting. Um, how, how do you conquer moments of doubt? What pushes you through? Um, Did you have a belief so, so maybe then of, that you had to overcome? So first and foremost, my wife. Good. Having a cheerleader, uh, someone that believes in you, that puts their full faith that you're going to find a way to make it happen and always is there to be a sounding board and and tell you they believe in you. It means so much. Yeah. yeah. That, that gets me through a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Believed in you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's all sorts of hard days still, right? We've sure, we've made it. We're, we're cash flow positive three years in a row, and, and at a very, it's gr that amount of cash is growing at an accelerating pace. But there's still those moments where someone threatens to sue you over something. You're like, oh, come on. How could you possibly? <laughs> there's no reason. And, and it, it goes to nowhere. And yeah. nothing happens. And yeah. we've never had a real lawsuit other than some threats. But it's that feeling of like, what if? Yeah. And it, the way to get through that stuff is uh, you look at the testimonials. You look at the reviews from happy customers. And it's like, that's why I do this. It's more than just the, the money side of it that's going well, but it's, it's that whole mission that we have to help educators, help students, help the world. Like we're on a mission to accomplish that, that like not letting anything get in our way of accomplishing that. I don't mean, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you are really dedicated and devoted to your why. You understand what you're doing and that mission that you have around that. Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. dedicated to it. It's very specific. And the whole team, if you walked out of this conference room to any other office and asked, what's our, quick, what's our mission? They would all immediately spit it back to you, mm -hmm. help educators, help students, help the world. Everyone knows that and they know our core values and that stuff is not just important for me and my team to know, but our, even our customers know that that's what we're really after. Mm -hmm. We have a bad day and our, our uh, hosting fails us for an hour and the site goes down, uh, they know that we're on a mission to help them and that we have hiccups and we're not perfect, mm -hmm. but overall we're helping them. Yeah, we're and they're getting that help still despite those weaknesses and they can look past those because of our mission. Yeah, it's good. I think that's a really good message for all of us. Um, so many, I know small businesses, I can speak for ourselves. We are automotive repair shop and so we didn't really have what I would necessarily call a mission statement. And, you know, we've done that since because you need it. Like as you're starting to face challenges, you get like, why am I doing this? Why am I going through this? Why do mm -hmm. I have to put up with, you know, these particular things? So I really appreciate the um, message there around your vision and your mission. Um, so I don't mean to belabor this, but have you always been this confident? Like, did you feel like at any time that what am I doing? Why am I doing this? No, I, always. I've always known. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I think that th this whole thing, what I do at Stu Kent, is like a life mission kind of thing for me. Uh, I, I believe in 
a God that knows me and cares about me and gives me direction as to what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I don't let, like knowing that and, and feeling like I know what it is that he wants me to go do, then I just go do that. Mm -hmm. And I always feel really confident and put a lot of trust in that. Yeah. And it's worked out for me, you know, whether everyone <laughs> else is religious or believes like I do that that's the case. Like, um, it's worked I, for you. It's worked for me. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone. I, I spent some time in India and I've, I've had some really cool world travels with my business. And in India, it's really inspiring to me how many of them believe that their creator has a specific mission for their life yeah. and what they're supposed to go do. Yeah. And uh, I admire that a ton. Well, I really appreciate that. I think that I have had um, in the last, I don't know, in my life, I have realized that I'm probably playing far below what my potential is, you know, that my creator has in store for me. And so, mm -hmm. so I have a great, all this I actually up. have a great fear of not doing what all he wants he, me yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, so you put yourself out That's a driver there. for me. It's uh -huh. definitely a driver for me. That's good. I think... I wish that more of us were programmed that way. Can you imagine what could be accomplished in this world yeah. if we all felt like that? So it's great. So tell me a little bit about your family, Stu. Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? How has your family impacted, been impacted by your self-employment? Um, what does that look like? So my dad, when, I, when he turned like 40, 40 or 41, he became the CEO of a trucking company. Yeah. And so he's a successful businessman, but he didn't, start a business from that wasn't his from, trucking that company. wasn't his own mm -hmm. that was his own um my brother-in-law was a plumber and I, he, I like all your little trades people in your in your family that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have a brother that's a plumber now i have a brother-in-law that's a plumber i have a brother that's an orthodontist a brother-in-law that's a that's a dentist i have a so they've definitely been business oriented yeah and anyway my brother that's a plum my brother-in-law that was a plumber when i was a kid when I was like 12 years old, let me come and be his gopher. Yeah. I would run to and from the house. He was doing new construction plumbing and I would run to the trailer, grab the next part he needed, run it, sprint it back. And it made him a little faster. And he yes. was willing to pay me my five bucks an hour for that probably. Yes, and you felt so important. And it was, yeah, it was awesome. And anyway, so I, I, but I, what I loved was if we were done at three, we would stop at three. If we were done at 4.30, we would stop at 4.30. And he had that freedom to pick when choose when he left. Whereas my dad was late for dinner a lot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was the CEO of a company, but he wasn't the owner of that company. And so he didn't get to pick and choose when he left. And he had meetings and all these things that held him back. And I, as a young kid, wanted that. That uh, freedom. That freedom. And I admired that about my brother's, my brother-in-law's little entrepreneurship in that plumbing business. Yeah, right. So do you, does your family currently work in your business now? I have a brother that runs the high school sales for the company. He started out doing customer support, then he became the director of customer support. And then um, now he's the director of high school sales. Yeah, so that's he's great. doing great. Yeah. And uh, I have like a cousin in customer support and I have yeah, hired some family mm -hmm. members. And how is it working out? Always been great. Yeah, that's good. So. Not everybody has that same experience with families in their business. So good. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I actually find that it has been, um, it can be just really good for your family to have that opportunity to learn and grow and change the world together. Yeah. I, I think you have to go into it very clear with communication yeah. and understanding of like, I love you. We are family. And 
the business that we're that we're running and that you're going to be a part of is has nothing to do with that relationship we have as like as your brother I love you no matter what mm -hmm. as your boss if you can't do your job then just like with anyone else in my company it's not going to work out yeah and and it's not personal it just is it's not personal it's just that's you know it, like it would be like any other business would treat you I have to treat you the way that any other business would treat you and yeah. you have to treat this like any other job not like oh my brother's given me this job so I'm safe right <laughs> and it's always worked out and it, it, here's another thing I've done I've always put someone between me and him. Yeah, that's so like smart. Uh, Travis, I offer. I said, "Hey, we we might have a position for you. Um, I'm going to have so and so interview you, yeah. and I want them to tell me that you're the right fit for this job." Yeah, and we've always had that, and it's never been a nepotism thing because of that. Yeah, that's good. Good advice. Okay, so talk to me. Speaking about advice, what's the best advice you've received, um, and what advice would you give to others considering self-employment? Um, the, it's, it's so simple, it's, but it's so true. Like it's simply, you have to start, just start. And the, I'll go one step further. Cause that one said a lot. Don't worry about the legal and accounting aspects until <laughs> after you've found a customer that's willing to pay you some money and you've realized that first transaction then go worry about that because then you have something to worry about yeah then you have <laughs> yeah you you're gonna have some taxes to pay and yeah you're, but actually you could make like a couple grand before you're gonna even have to worry about taxes so like there's a lot of things people are like oh should we be an llc should we be an s corp what should we call the name what should we do for the logo and it's like none of that matters do you have a product or service that someone's willing to pay for? And are they do are you doing that thing for them or and are they willing to pay? After that happens, go. then worry about the rest. Yeah, great. I love that advice. Um, do you have any books or podcasts or anything that immediately come to mind yes. that you would attribute to helping you achieve success? Oh yeah, Let's so many. Share those. All right, we <laughs> I'm a big hear. I have like a whole, whole audible list of yes. I, I do a lot of uh, audiobooks through yeah. the app Audible. Um, zero to one is the best book I've found that helps you think about big picture, big world change type business. Think bigger. Uh, and then another good one for that is 10X by Grant Cardone. Uh, take that with a grain of salt. Don't love everything he says in the book or all of his beliefs, but th the way he helps you think bigger is huge. Yeah. So those two and then another one that I think anyone should read and can enjoy whether you, you're for sure going to be an entrepreneur or not is, um, oh, it's by, it's a, it's the story of Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. Yeah. Oh, so good. Isn't that a great book? Yes. I love that one. Although uh, it gave my husband great anxiety as we were listening to it and just his story because he worked so hard I to, know. Get, the, to get Nike out there. He's still almost about to lose it when it's ah. already millions of dollars and he's still like barely breaking even. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good one. Okay. Anything else? you want to recommend to us? Oh man, I could list a whole lot more books. It's okay. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, Lean Startup by Eric Reese is another good one for entrepreneurs. Okay. We always love to be able to have resources and um, it's kind of fun to see some of these that get repeated on the show and it's like, you know, I think maybe I really should listen to this one. Mm -hmm. All right. So it sounds like you have quite the vision for the future with uh, diversifying into different um, Subjects. Uh, subjects, yeah. Anything else that you're planning on for the future, Stukin? 
I have uh, so many ideas that you have to wait on. Okay. That's frustrating. Just keep us. <laughs> but you, you have to wait on them because you, you just need to stay focused on the task at hand and the lowest hanging fruit. It's so. true. You can get diluted and then you lose your focus. But I'll, I'll tell you this. There's a lot of opportunity in augmented reality and virtual reality specific for education. Mm. And the device that Facebook has created called the Facebook portal. Yeah. A lot of opportunity in the education space with that specifically as it relates to the app story time. Um, you just went to the Facebook, Facebook conference. Yeah, I got yeah. to go to their uh -huh. developer conference. It yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah, so that's awesome to learn what they're, they've got, they've, they've got good stuff. Yep. Um, all right, so I understand that you guys are actually putting on a conference this year for your, um, for your s professors, is that true? Yeah, it's called ProfCon. We're doing our first one in Yellowstone in June. That's so great. I don't know of many who have people come to Yellowstone for a conference. Fun How to do fun. it that way. Yeah, I mean, one, we're based in Idaho and we're proud of it, right? Yeah. We're, we're going to have the Silicon Spuds here someday. They've got the Silicon Valley and California <laughs> and the Silicon Slopes in Utah, so we'll have the Silicon Spuds up here. I don't know. That's. I like it. We joke about that, but... Yeah, bringing them to Yellowstone. Okay, great. And that's this summer? June 19th through the oh, 21st. Oh, it's coming right yeah. up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's great. And so how many people do you anticipate will... About 100 in yeah. our first... It's our very first oh, it's one. Your very and, first one. And uh, yeah. we just want to see how it goes and if we want to do more. We, we feel like if we were to do one in Boston or something, we could get just so many more people in Southern California, just locations where people don't have to travel as much. Yellowstone's an expensive ask because it's like, hey, it's $600 to attend and then it's also going to be like... $900 for your room and board, and then it's going to be another, you know, you're going to have your flight that flights to Yellowstone. Maybe you have to fly into Salt Lake, Idaho Falls, mm -hmm. Jackson. Mm -hmm. Pretty limited options and they're pretty expensive airports to fly into. Well, this is a nice place to start and kind of see how it goes. Yeah, if it can go well there, then we think we can go do it elsewhere, uh, other sure. places. For sure. All right, I also know that you are known as a humanitarian. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think you have a nonprofit that you're... Yeah, so I served a mission in uh, 2003 to Argentina. And when I was down there, I just saw a lot of poverty. And I just set a goal for my life that I would do something to help there when I, later on in life. And so charityfast.org is a, a website that I've created where people can pledge in a, an amount of money that they'd like to donate. And the idea is that if you skip two meals and donate the money you would have spent on those two meals, we can buy 20 meals for a child that's starving in Argentina. And so is that or like a month other... you just say, in a month, skip two meals and then dedicate that money to Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of science around how often you should fast. Um, yes. A lot of doctors have said that a once a month is really he healthy for you. Yeah, lots of stuff out there on intermittent fasting and how yeah, it helps Yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping to team up with the right inter intermittent fasting expert or person that's kind of hawking that that diet out yeah, there yeah. that would help me kind of get my message out. And say, that really, way. this is good in so yeah. many ways. Yeah, fasting isn't a new thing, it's a biblical thing. And so to do it now and have a cause for it. When did you start this charity? Awesome. Uh, just this year, basically d December of last year, we worked on the concept and built out the website and then launched in January. Okay. Well, that's great. I think that's a great cause. And if anybody's interested in that, tell me again where they can find information. Charityfast.org. Okay, good. All right, Stuart, anything else you'd like to tell the listeners that we haven't covered that maybe we blew over? 
so yes, much I, information. I, so I do have one last thing that if I, I think every entrepreneur should know this quote, you can't time opportunity. Opportunities are gonna come your way if you're living right and you're working hard when those opportunities come, if you have the bra if you're brave enough and you're courageous enough to jump on that opportunity, you will succeed. But you have to you can't time when that opportunity is going to come. So you got to see it and jump on it and you can't wait. And you need to be prepared. You got to be prepared. Yeah, right. Yep. Right. I think um, Guy Raz in how I built this asks the question of what do you attribute your, su your success to? Do you feel like it was luck or do you feel like it was skill? Um, and a lot of people say that same thing that, you know, there's a mix. I, how would you answer that? Oh man, it's, I don't know if it's luck or skill or just tenacity. Like <laughs> I think, yeah, there's definitely an element of luck. There's definitely an element of skill, uh, but you have to be tenacious enough to keep going when the hard times come and when the roadblocks hit, you have to be able to just keep going, never let anything stop you. Yeah, and that's the place where people quit and then, oh, they're just on the cusp of maybe doing that next yeah. great thing. Yep. Yeah, great. Seth Godin talks about Tipping Point when, and, and uh, he has a book called, um, and maybe it's called Tipping Point, When to Quit and When to Stick. Great book yeah. by Seth Godin. Okay, good, there's another one. All right, Stuart, well, what a great time I've had talking with you today and learning about Stukent and your other ventures and all the stuff that you guys are doing. You have the reputation of having a get or done attitude and that has come across loud and clear in your story today. I look forward to seeing what more you have in store for the digital world in teaching um, and teaching all of us how to navigate it and provide us uh, services for that. So thank you so much. We appreciate your work and the work of your team and look forward to what's coming next. You're welcome. Thank you to all of you for joining us today. As a reminder, our show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. Please visit us when you need quality automotive repair provided with integrity and honesty. Our family is honored to take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Welcome to another Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon. RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November. Uh, so check it out. It's coming up uh, in this next fall, so we'd love to see you there. In addition, RiseCon has a sister event called RiseX. RiseX is held monthly in Idaho Falls and in Pocatello. So please check it out at www.risecon.com if you're uh, looking for more information. RiseX is a monthly networking event where um, executives get together and talk about their business and learn about different topics, and it's just good business is happening there. So love to see you there. Uh, okay, so today for the business leadership moment, I wanted to tackle the topic of trust. So trust seems to be a pretty important thing. We all want to have trust in our workplace and in our in our lives. Um, and I have definitely heard as I have coached and, and worked with different teams, them talk about wanting to be able to um, trust the people that they work with to do their jobs and that they can be trusted to do their jobs. And so I want to give you the secret sauce on how to create an environment of trust. 
and in five minutes or less. <laughs> so we'll see if that can happen. Um, I know that it's a topic in the business world, especially. I don't know if you've read the book by Stephen Covey um, called The Speed of Trust, um, but his uh, he he believes that all the things that we do in business are really important, but if we can get that core concept of trust, that everything else definitely speeds ahead. Um, so how do we find trust? You know, you can build a personal culture of trust by taking care to honor the agreements that you have made. You need to be accountable for those agreements. Be clear and transparent. And this sounds kind of redundant, maybe, about uh, like some of the things you've heard from me say before. In speaking about accountability, it all starts with us. And, you know, so does trust. Um, It's like accountability in the fact that you can't mandate trust. You can only demonstrate it. You can only earn it. Uh, And that's exactly, uh, you know, just like you can't mandate accountability, you can only demonstrate it. Trust is the same. So if you want to be trusted, you've got to look at what your life is doing and see where maybe there's some pieces that you can tighten up. Um, How likely are you to be crystal clear um, in the things that you're in the commitments that you're making and meeting those commitments. Sometimes we like to have wiggle room in the commitments that we make because then that gives us an opportunity where we can get away with excuses or justifications. And we might not even know that we're doing it. I've sat in many meetings where we've talked about, you know, we, 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 we will do all of these things. And then we leave and it's great. And we never gets identified as to who's doing it and what time they're doing it, when they're doing it, when it's expected to be done. Um, And so we come back as a group and we're all very frustrated. And, you know, I don't trust that my coworker is going to do the job that I gave him to do, but I didn't really give them a whole lot of clarity. We didn't leave that meeting with crystal clear expectations of what was supposed to be done. And maybe I did that because I didn't want to hold them accountable. I'd rather be liked than to be effective. All of those things. It's hard to hold people to deadlines. And and I'm going to have to act. Uh, If I just leave it open, then we can come back to the meeting and I can blame them for not getting their stuff done. So trust begins with clarity and getting crystal clear, being transparent, and really setting some expectations that everybody can agree to, and then living up to those and looking at your own life and where you're, um, where you may not be doing that. Uh, the only place we can really start is with ourselves. And once we can be confident about that, then it's a little easier for us to look around and say, look, I'm not doing this. So I know that I'm not example. I'm not. I'm not giving you your excuse because I am living this way. So here's your opportunity to live up, um, and we can create an environment of trust. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, it sounds easy. It's hard. Uh, it's an easy concept, but it's difficult. Uh, it goes back to us being really clear and making sure that. Um, We're setting ourselves and everyone else around us up for success. But I know you can do this in your environment. Um, Don't fear clarity. Run into it. Lean into it. Try it. I promise you will not be disappointed and you can accomplish the goals quicker than you ever imagined uh, when you have clarity and uh, no excuses, no blame, no guilt, all that stuff. All right, you guys, have a great week and I'll see you here again next week. 
Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.